There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. <laughs> this is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Indeed it is. Good afternoon and welcome to The Grill. We're live down here at Barasti Beach. Uh, that, in fact, is the handle if you want to find out more about uh, what's happening uh, throughout the course of today and, of course, your sport viewing options down here. Talking of the sport, we've got you covered between now and 6 o'clock and plenty to talk about as well. Enticing early kickoff in the Premier League. Southampton taking on Manchester United. We'll have all of that game for you, all the goals as they go in. We'll have team news for you in just a few moments' time. Six games off at six o'clock in the Premier League. And then Burnley against Liverpool at 8.30pm later on this evening. Uh, Bristol City taking on Borough in the Championship. We'll keep an eye on that one for you whilst we're on air as well. Before we go off air, they'll be underway in the Bundesliga. So we'll let you know if there are any goals in the first half hour of action there. Uh, two Rugby World Cup warm-up games to look forward to as well. Uh, European Masters Round 3, the US Open Tennis is into what Mark Archer likes to call moving Saturday at the moment and Belgian Grand Prix pole qualifications. Special guests and opportunities for you to have your say as always. Uh, this is The Grill. We're broadcasting live from Barasti and as always we'd like to extend the invite to you. Come on down. Be part of proceedings if you love your sport. If you love to get out and about of a weekend, take advantage uh, of the public holiday today to come on down here to Barasti uh, and enjoy the remainder of the afternoon and the evening in our company and in the company of some world-class sport. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. Right, so how do you get in touch with the show? You can text me now on 4001. You can use the handles at any point on social media uh, at Dubai Eye 1038FM, at Dubai Eye Sport, and at Barasti Beach. This is The Grill with you between 3 and 6 every Saturday, live from Barasti. So do come on down and say hi. Uh, now, The Grill is nothing without The Grill panel. And today, absolute pleasure uh, to welcome uh, Messrs Archer and Wadsworth to the uh, table, Mark and Rob, alongside me. Let's start with you first up. Rob, welcome uh, again. Uh, nice to see you. Pleasant summer. Had a lovely summer. Thank you very much. And uh, great to be back on the grill. So thanks for having me. Uh, so a sporting highlight for you of the summer? Oh, you can't see beyond the cricket, can you? Despite being a huge football fan, I don't think you can see beyond the cricket, particularly being an England fan as well. Yeah, what are, what are some of the, the cricketers have had for sure? Let's put that same question to Mark Archer, our resident Kiwi as well. Uh, sporting highlight of the summer for you, Mark Archer? Oh, Tom, England winning the World Cup cricket, of course. <laughs> well, no, 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 let me recorrect that. England tying the World Cup cricket final. Let's stay with that. But I am excited to be here today. It's been a great <laughs> summer. I'll tell you why. 19 days, 12 hours, and about 55 minutes. You know what happens? Kickoff. Kickoff. First match of the Rugby World Cup 2019 will take place in Japan. The host Japan playing Russia, but it gets underway thick and fast. That's on Friday night, on uh, Friday the 20th of September. Yeah. 21st, so some big, big matches to mark your card with no bigger than New Zealand versus the Springboks. So looking forward to that to kick off the Rugby World Cup, get it off with a bang that weekend. So 19 days, 12 hours. 55 minutes. The other reason I'm, I'm excited here, Tom, is uh, Test Cricket. It's back. The miracle at Headingley. Been a good, been a good uh, 
couple of weeks for Ben Stokes, hasn't it? It has indeed. It's been a good summer for Ben Stokes, hasn't it, as well? Um, all this chat of, uh, of him being knighted, and that was being the call from the Barmy Army as well. Um, I love that idea. I love the, 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 the sort of approach. I suppose there's a few hurdles for him to climb up. I was having this conversation yesterday, obviously. Um, you think of sort of sporting icons and what they've achieved for British sport and the likes of your David Beckham. There's a lot of people asking why. Yeah, he's got an MBE, an OBE, a CBE, and all those bits and pieces, but never been knighted. It's because there's a few, you know, there's a few skeletons in the closet there. There's a few things that he's sort of brushed with the law and legalities along his way. And I wonder whether that would count across a certain Ben Stokes as well. Well, I mean, what a story of redemption and, and a story of someone that w went from, from zero to hero almost. And um, a, a, a young man that w w in some ways has um, been incredibly, incredibly lucky not to be in jail serving time for um, what was the court case after the after the night out in Bristol yeah. and he's come back and he and he's really highlighted for me the, the the English sporting summer he's produced two career defining moments in the summer winning winning obviously the the innings that won England the World Cup against all the pressure in the world batting second chasing that score against New Zealand but during the week um, an innings of a career an innings of a lifetime a a, 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 a match and a series may now be defined by that innings of, of Ben Stokes and uh, what a knock it was. Um, up there with some, I mean it's very hard to compare innings of, of errors, but up there definitely in the top 10 innings, test innings of all time, without a doubt, without a doubt, without a, without a shadow of a doubt. I think that's the key thing there, isn't it? He's, he's come in both those matches and he's had to come and play an innings in both the World Cup final and against Australia to effectively save the game and under severe pressure and perform under that pressure. It's all well and good uh, being able to go and bat and build an innings and score a huge, huge score when you when, when it's in the second innings and, and, and whatever. There's there's not a lot of fault to play to. He had to do it under severe pressure and he was the you know the last man standing for England for those for those seventy odd balls and to do it was just just wonderful. Yeah, and, and it's just tough to, to come out in the fourth. It's, it's one thing to score hundreds in, in the first innings of a test match and set a game up, and you, you've got no pressure of the scoreboard. You've got, you can wear the bowlers down. He, it was backs against the wall stuff. I mean, I think they needed 353 or whatever the score was, and, and, and 200 in the last day. And all he did is he, saw part, he, saw, he got some partnerships going. Johnny Bairstow got, got a partnership going. And, but they keep losing wickets, and it looked as though it was all done and dusted. When Stuart Broad went early, he came and went, and um, Chris Wokes came and went, and Joffrey Archer slogged a couple, and then he holed out, and then it's like you're down to Jack Leach, the guy, the bespeckled <laughs> bats, you know, left arm slow bowler, classical number 11 batsman from Somerset comes in, and somehow the miracle happened, and Ben Stokes went through the gears because he, I think he scored the slowest 50 of his it career in the first knock and then he scored one of the quickest second 50s he took he scored three off his first 73 balls and then <laughs> <laughs> and then 84 runs from the last and 64 and the, abil the ability to read the situation the ability to deal with the pressure the deal with to to bat as though the game's on your shoulders but to bat without that sort of burden and he and he went through it all and i mean that's when real real class comes through in the in the, in the toughest of pressure situations Withstanding the, the situation, he was batting to keep England in the ashes. Yeah. It, it, Australia had one finger on that little urn, and they were they were basically taking it back to back to Melbourne, back to Australia. And Ben Stokes has rested away um, with that innings, and now he's given England some momentum to go into the fourth Test match. It gets underway at Old Trafford on Thursday, and uh, 
what a knock on. I'm sure we're going to talk about it and listen to the, the pundits rave about uh, Ben Stokes' innings, but it was an innings for the ages. It was fantastic. And I, I was following it, um, looking at the highlights and f following it on Crick Info. I didn't have the TV coverage in front of me, but it was nerve-wracking. And, um, yeah, w what a knock. And, um, you know, fair play to the guy who, who came out of the situation. Uh, he's learned his lessons, it looks like, and he's... He works incredibly hard at his game, and uh, what a knock dealing with the, the, the physical and mental stress of also bowling 19, 20 overs on the trot <laughs> the day before, yeah. of course. So, uh, you know, for me, pound for pound, he and I've said this for a couple of years, with, with before he did what he did against New Zealand in the World Cup final and before he did this, he's the best all-round cricketer in the world, best batter, bowler, fielder, bar none, all-round cricketer in the world for the last few years. Uh, without a doubt. We are going to talk about this uh, in detail a little later on in proceedings. I'm glad you gave me the uh, where were you uh, on that one. So you were following it on Crick Info. Yeah, I, was in I, was in, I was in Riyadh. In Riyadh, okay. Where were you during I, the Ben I, Stokes? I think, I think at work, I think. Yeah. yeah. Tom, See, uh, you? I was <laughs> I was on a tennis court uh, and I'm feeling very, very guilty about it. And, and you know, I've, I've missed the opportunity. At the TV, like literally in walking distance from, it's from my villa, you know, it was there, it's on. But I couldn't watch. When Johnny Bairstow got out after lunch, I thought, that's it, dead and dusted. I'd rather go and have hit a few balls on the tennis court with a mate who also happens to be a, an avid cricket fan. He couldn't watch either because it was just like, oh, same old England, same old England. And we had this whole thing like, so, oh, hang on. Set, they only need 73. They need 73. No, it's still it's right. We've got time for another set. Uh, oh, oh, hang on. They only need 40. No, blah, blah, blah. By the end of it, the two of us had TMS, uh, the Test Match Special commentary on via a phone in the boiling heat up on a tennis court in the middle of nowhere when we could have just gone 400 yards down the road and watched it on the TV in some comfort. And more importantly, did you win the tennis, Tom? The, the tennis took the second seat. took the back seat completely oh. after that. Yeah, Ten cricket was the winner on that day. Tennis was the was was a big loser after us murdering it. Listen, so we got loads to talk about throughout the course of the next few hours. Um, I, 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 I don't want to be uh, accused as well of us just as being too one-dimensional when it comes to the grill. Obviously, we uh, look to address sports from all corners of the globe and that's what hopefully we will do over the course of the next few hours and and please never accuse us of not turning our attention to culture as well because high culture and sport obviously go hand in hand as was proven this week by a certain Eric Cantona the recipient of the 2019 president's award what's um, going on through your mind right now uh, as flies to wanton boys, we are for the gods. They kill us for the sport. Soon the science will not only be able to slow down the aging of the cells, soon the science will, be, will fix the cells to the state. And so we will become eternal. Only accidents Crimes, wars will still kill us. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. Thank you. So uh, that was Eric Cantona, the former Manchester United uh, Maverick, um, at the uh, UEFA Awards ceremony earlier on this week. I, I, I mean, Rob, I. I Again, you know, I don't want to sort of under underestimate anybody's intelligence or something. I think that might have been lost on the crowd 
at that given event. Just a touch. I think I only understood really his last sentence, which was, I love football. <laughs> and that's the only bit I got. But yeah, it's, he's one of a kind, isn't he? And uh, he's obviously got a, uh, a history of doing that with his famous seagulls from the trawler speech uh, a few seasons back. Yeah, but certainly one of a kind. I think he, I think what he wore as well at the, yeah, yeah. the door, he had a you know, flat cap, bright red shirt, and yeah, he's got yeah. this amazing beard as well. But yeah, what a character. Great on the field, uh, entertaining off the field as well. I have absolutely no idea what he's on about there. I, I kind of got Shakespeare, mate. Shakespeare. Shakespeare, yeah. I mean, he's an intelligent guy, wasn't he? And what a great footballer. He was a guy that played football sort of beyond his years. He thought beyond the, the vision that he had when he was on the football field. But yeah, controversial character. And yeah, I'm not sh quite sure where he brought where that all came <laughs> from, to be honest. But um, if you get an opportunity to watch it, just have a look at it because the camera does pan around to the likes of Ronaldo and Messi and things that are listening on going. Just their faces, their faces are pictures, they and, really and, are. And Cantona was receiving a sort of a, a, a lifetime award or some sort of uh, accolade, I guess. It was indeed. Uh, listen, you're listening to The um, uh, the Grill. We're broadcasting live from Barasti. We're down here at Barasti Beach. Uh, we've got the small matter of big game to look forward to. Uh, it's down on the south coast of England. It's Southampton against Manchester United. We have, will have team news for you next. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Uh, two early kickoffs in England for us to turn our attention to between now uh, and uh, later on. In fact, uh, you will have all the news from both of those games as and when the goals go in. Bristol entertain Borough in the Championship. But our attention, the main attention, obviously the attention of a good crowd in here. The Southampton faithful have taken up their places in front of one of the TVs down here at Barasti. Manchester United fans coming in in their droves as well. It's Southampton against Manchester United uh, it is a game that has thrown up some well some interesting goals and interesting scorers in years gone by this is the Dell where it will be a day of decision if Manchester United beat Southampton that will give the reigning champions 79 points and put them beyond the reach of any challengers so it's in Manchester United's own hands to wrap it up here Richards and Benali primarily doing the marking and Dodd trying to just to give some balance to it. Colt caught by Benali. It's a free kick. That's got David Beckham jogging purposefully in from the right-hand side. Taha goes back on the post, but it's a brilliant goal from Beckham. Well, maybe the party has started at the Dell. We're only in the eighth minute. Right from the David Beckham casebook. Philip Neville's been allowed to go a long, long way here, and it's 2 0, it's gone in off Benali. And uh, Philip Neville trying to play it across for Solskjaer, and Benali can only angle it into his own net. You feel only complacency can get the better of them today. There's no sign of that as yet. Solskjaer picked out by Beckham. It's 3-0. Complacency. <laughs> that couldn't be further from the truth. Hunger, desire, class. Champions. Manchester United. Pahas. Oh, Pahas cutting Manchester United apart. And scoring a wonderful individual goal. Manchester United retain the championship under Sir Alec Ferguson. They maintain their domestic domination. 
It's a sixth Premiership prize in eight seasons. Manchester United are the first champions of the new millennium. That was a few years ago, uh, 1999 to 2000 season, and some familiar names in there as well. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the scoreboard for Manchester United in that game. Uh, he takes his team down to Southampton today uh, as manager of uh, Manchester United. A lot has been made uh, of the Manchester United squad and selections, etc. Uh, Rob, tell us, where's he go? who's he gone with? Who's he entrusting uh, to try and get the points down on the south coast today? Well, obviously they uh, they got beat by Palace in their last game, and, and as a as a consequence, and I think they've got a couple of injuries as well. They've made a few changes. So Ashley Young, uh, Juan Mata, and Andres Pierre come into the side, replacing Luke Shaw, uh, Jesse Lingard, and Anthony Martial. So they're going to line up in their four-two-three-one formation, I think. So it'll be the hearing goal of uh, Juan Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire, and Ashley Young as a back four. Um, McTomney and Pogba in midfield and then they've got a front four which we'll, and we'll see how they how they line up with Rashford, Pereira, Juan Mata and Daniel James and then for Southampton again they've had, they've had a couple of injuries and lost uh, a couple of important players um, since, their, since their last game against Brighton which they won 2-0 um, so they're lining up with Angus Gunn in goal back four of Suarez, Vestergaard, uh, Bendenek and Danzo um, Holberg, um, Romeo and James Ward-Prowse in midfield and then Bafal, Danny Ings and Shea Adams up front. Again, the formation might slightly change as the manager tends to like to play with three at the back, um, but we'll see how they set up as the, as the game gets underway. Uh, we will talk about uh, the uh, both managers, but not before we've heard from them first. Uh, let's hear it from the home manager first and foremost. Uh, something of a mixed bag of a start to the season for Big Ralph. Uh, has he been happy with the way the team have been preparing and how has he been preparing his team for the visit of Manchester United? Ralph, it's been a really positive week so far with back-to-back -back wins. Does that mean you're taking a lot of confidence into this game against Manchester United on Saturday? Yeah, I think it was important for us that we we take two clean sheets and two wins in the two away games. Now we want to to win also in, in, in St Mary's and I think uh, the team is building up self-confidence now after a difficult start. With two difficult games, very good performance against Liverpool, but no points after two games. And now we have uh, turned the table a little bit, and we can make a massive step now when we when we take three points against Man United. You've had a chance to see some different players over these last two games as well. I know you're dealing with some injury issues for this match, but have you got some nice selection problems in that sense that players are, are pushing themselves in into your frame of mind? Yeah, no, we must uh, have a look. Uh, three injuries in the last game, so injuries, uh, two injuries and one who maybe could play on the weekend, but it's always uh, um, a risk with Michael when he played another game in a week. But we have, uh, especially in the offence, we have a few uh, alternatives or a lot of alternatives. They haven't played so far. Longy didn't play so far, and, and, and uh, yeah, that's the reason why why we must rotate a little bit, but uh, finally we have a few other options also. Did really well against Manchester United in the game at Old Trafford last season, albeit unfortunate to lose. How much can you take from that in terms of the key things that you need to do to be successful against them? Yeah, I think we we had a good balance of, of playing with the ball, but also being compact and good organised. Uh, a free kick uh, would also help from Brazi. I mean, he takes another one like, like he did in, in Old Trafford. And yeah, finally, I think we we can uh, yeah score when when we have a lot of pressure on them. Uh, we had a few good ball wins also in Old Trafford, early ball wins. 
Uh, we will not be shy. We must be brave and, and try to, to play our uh, philosophy in our football. What have you made of Manchester United so far this season and I guess the threat that, that they can pose you? Yeah, fantastic team with a lot of quality and, and uh, especially the beginning against Chelsea was massive, 4 0. It's a big, big win. And uh, the results then were not always perfect, but uh, in every game they showed how, how good they can be. Just finally, I can't not ask you about the cup draw since we're speaking to you this week. What did you make of, of Portsmouth Southampton? Obviously, a game that's got the fans really excited for a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, uh, it's now a chance to to get in, and to do not uh, hear about everybody, from everybody how important this game is. Uh, I think when I was coming here to Southampton, uh, the first thing they told me is uh, when there's a game against Portsmouth, you have to win. So even if you go to the bakery or, or somewhere else, uh, you should know that uh, this, this game you have to win. Um, still a few days to, to go to, to this game, but uh, you can feel that this is very important for the fans and that's okay. Big Ralph there talking ahead of the game as well. What have you made of Saints' start to the season? Yeah, they've had a, I suppose a bit of a challenging start, really. They obviously got a win last week against uh, Brighton, winning 2-0, um, um, albeit against, against 10 men. Um, but then they lost, obviously, their two other games. They got beat by Burnley and, and beaten by Liverpool. So, yeah, it's, it's been a challenging start for them. And off the back of last season as well, really, where the manager came in, um, he took over when they were, were in real difficulties, and he, he managed to steady the ship, and obviously he managed to get eight wins I think it was and took 30 odd points from the last 23 games um, get managed to get them up to 18th and you thought with the summer it would be a time for them to consolidate and maybe maybe um, put, put a side together that would be able to pull away from that relegation so they weren't in a relegation fight again um, however the, the start would suggest that they, they may be pulled into that this season um, I think that there's a there's a couple of interesting points for this game really I mean Southampton they're a team that he, he, he has set up like he did in the Leipzig days to set up to press and he likes them to press um, and press hard and press, press the teams into the channels to force them into mistakes. They tried that against Burnley but Burnley just played over the top of them and Burnley beat that press by, by playing over the top and, 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 and Southampton resulted in get, getting beat 3-0. Again, they tried to press against Liverpool, maybe not quite as hard um, but Liverpool were too good, um, fortunately, to beat that press. I mean, obviously, with their front three in their midfield, it was... Um, they had the ability to beat it. So it's an interesting one for Southampton if they go for the press again, again the high press against Manchester United, because it might play into United's hands. We saw United last week where they struggled to break down Palace and they couldn't do it because they're playing with pace, they're playing with speed. But when Palace sat deep, United couldn't break them down. So if Southampton decide to press, United will give the opportunity for United on the break. If they decide to sit in, it may make it difficult for United. So it'll be an interesting tactical battle between the managers and, and what they do and how they set up. Uh, players are out on the field. We will have, of course, all the updates for you throughout the course of uh, the big uh, news for those just tuning in. Jesse Lingard is on the bench in a Premier League match for the first time since the 30th of March 2019. Matter in for Lingard as a Man United fan. Happy with that change? Yeah, I think they struggled last week, as, um, as Rob said, when, uh, when, 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 when uh, Crystal Palace sat deep. They just lacked a bit of creativity, but, you know, there was no killer balls being put through them and they struggled to break them down. They, they're a fast team, they've got Rashford, they've got Martial who have got, got gas, you know, and so they need a bit more space. So when, if, if Southampton do come and press and they can create, you know, get some early passing movements going, particularly through the centre of the field, that will open up the opportunities for them. But 
you just don't know what's going to happen tactically here. But I think Mata gives them some options. Pereira is also a bit of a ball player, so he, they've got a bit of creativity there. And obviously McTominay will jump in behind the back four and sort of protect them and, and allow maybe Paul Pogba to get forward. Daniel James is playing today. Now he's got he's, he's got speed to burn as well. So can they give him some room? We know how quick Mash, Rashford is, and he's at a good start for the season as well. So United though must win ga game almost. Look impressive against Chelsea. A good half against Wolves, and then obviously a result they should have got at home against Crystal Palace of some some form or, or, or shape, you know, smashing grab by Palace there. So under pressure again, as it, as it seemed to be the, the, the theme for the, me last year with United, some good, some bad, and some ugly, and always seemed to be under pressure, always seemed to be playing a must-win game and not getting results against the teams they should be getting results against. Yeah, I completely agree with that. This is one of those teams that they, if they wanted to be up there battling with the top four and and, and not being sucked into a sort of a, a top six battle with the, with the likes of Leicester and Everton, they need to be winning these games. Um, I think it's a challenge though going to Southampton. They obviously had their, they won the league there, as we heard on the on, on the on the video on the tape um, just now. But they also had challenges in the past. Remember the old grey shirts when they had the change them at half time so it's definitely not going to be an easy game I think that that as you say say Mark they, they play play with well with pace and when they've got time and space to break I don't think it's wise for Southampton to give them that time today it'll, it'll just play into United's hands Southampton have got to be very very cute about how they how they set up uh, let us watch on with interest this particular game and plenty of talking points around Manchester United throughout the course of the week as well. Uh, we've seen the likes of Lukaku uh, and Sanchez make way. Looks also like uh, some one of the, uh, the, the defensive um, uh, team will be heading off to Italy as well. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been asked about uh, the future of Chris Smalling at Manchester United. Just come up the last couple of days, uh, this opportunity for Chris and of course it's... Uh We've sat down yesterday and discussed it. At the moment, we've uh, got six fit centre-backs. I couldn't promise Chris uh, regular football. Uh, and, of course, that's, uh, he, he's on, on the plane over now. And I think he'll enjoy the experience over there. It's a big club, uh, good league. There's not many English players who have, the, uh, have had the chance to play in, uh, in Italy. And uh, I'm sure he'll come back. Yeah, stronger and better for it. What does it leave the likes of Matteo Damian, Marcus Rocco? Are they possibly going to leave before the deadline? I can see maybe uh, Matteo. There's been some interest in Matteo in it, over in Italy, uh, wanting to go back home. Marcos is uh, he's staying definitely. So um, we've uh, a squad now that's uh, less in numbers, but still. Uh, Big enough and strong enough for uh, to have uh, coverage in all position. And Zlatan Ibrahimovic has offered <laughs> to come back when yeah. his contract expires. That must be tempting, given the impact he had it before. Well, if he was 28, not 38 next month, it's a it's a big difference. But Zlatan's uh, he's had a great time here, and and of course he's. Uh, uh, he's still doing well. It was just unfortunate that he got his injury when he got it here. So uh, who knows? Uh, he knows my number. Uh, he, did, uh, he never rented my house, but he, he was looking at it. So <laughs> it's uh, and we can speak our native language. If it's uh, if it's serious, I'll I'll always speak to to Zlatan. A couple of talking points there. I want to get the boys' thoughts on? Let's start with uh, the, the the loan deals that we're seeing. Uh, some temporary, other a little more permanent uh, in nature as well. I mean, is Ollie leaving himself a little bit bare? Maybe maybe not so much at the back, where obviously we're seeing the lights of Smalling, and it looks like Damian's on his way as well. They they've strengthened that during the off season. But 
Lukaku uh, going over to Inter. Sanchez has, has, has done his bit as well and, and headed out. We've seen Lingard drop to the bench for this game as well. Is he a little short think, on top? I think he potentially is, yeah, a little bit light. They've got, as you say, lost Lukaku, Sanchez. Um, they've only really got Martial, Rashford and the young lad Mason Greenwood, who's you would suggest they're the actual strikers of the team. But to be fair to Solskjaer, he said at the end of last season, I'm only going to keep players that are committed to the club and we're going to see big changes. Now, I think on Monday Night Football, I said a couple of times with, with Chris and Robbie, I don't think he's done it. He hasn't been able to move players on. He's, he, he wasn't able to sign. He, he signed a couple of players, but he hadn't really got rid of the, a lot of players that he suggested he would do and make big changes. But towards the end of the window, he's done that. He suggested he's, Lukaku didn't fit the way he wanted to work. Um, didn't fit their style of playing. He's got rid of him. Sanchez has obviously had huge challenges there. Never settled at all, and, and been able to move him on and be able to structure the deal so it works for them. But it has left him light, and you wonder if that's going to leave him vulnerable towards the back end of the season. Bit of a stat for you, Tom. How much? How, how much do you think each of Sanchez's touches were? Man United. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm I, I, I think a Manchester United fan needs to answer this one as well yeah. I, I think it's going to be more painful uh, are, are you saying uh, cost per touch cost per touch uh, £100,000 £15,739 per touch, touch. <laughs> <laughs> that golden touch yeah or not I mean on a case like Sanchez you're a man who knows knows his football inside out you, you know you've worked with with, with with some of the best as well um, what has gone wrong with Sanchez what, why did it go so badly wrong I think probably a couple of things with it he's fit into the team and does he fit into the structure and the style of the club you look at some of the work that Norwich have done as an example where Stuart Webber, the director of football there, has come out and said the reason we've signed players is because they fit into the culture of the club, the, club, the style of the play. The example he gave was uh, with Pukki, he's had a you know, wonderful tuna last season, obviously the start of this season, where he said we, we, we targeted him because we knew the start, his style of play, we knew how he finished, we knew his off-the-ball movement and we knew he'd fit into the Norwich culture, the culture of the club. It seems like Sanchez, they bought Sanchez, if you remember, bit on a whim to beat Man City yeah. to it yeah. and so you think was it really a it was more of a, a response really rather than a tactical strategic decision to purchase that player and it just hasn't fit I mean the feedback we had United in a, 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 a NASA a couple of times over the last few years and you know the feedback from the from from, from the backroom stuff is that he just didn't fit within the culture of the club through maybe through no fault of his own but didn't really get on with anyone didn't have any have a, have a group of, of players that he st stuck around with and, and and therefore it just wouldn't work for him almost seems as though it was a defensive buy we don't want Manchester City to buy him we'll we'll up the ante we'll pay him more salary we'll, we'll pay a bigger transfer fee and let's not let's not Sanchez go to Manchester City and, and get involved in the arms race there. And that's exactly what they did. So they bought bought a bought a piece of the jigsaw just to fit the puzzle for them. And now he's he's expensive. He's on, on a multi-year deal. He's, he's rumored to be on 350, 400 thousand pounds a week. And the the, the, the the allegation is he's gone to Inter and they're having to pay half his salary or even more than half his salary just to get him over there. But let's see, he's still under contract to United for a couple of seasons and maybe he can just get revitalised. Maybe maybe then there is, there is, a, there is a, a small slim window of opportunity that he can come back and find some form. But he's, basically no other club can afford to pay his salary. So they can't sell him to anyone because they can't afford to pay him what he's on now. He doesn't want to take a pay cut. So yeah, bad business decision by 
by Mourinho and by the football management at the time I think, that, I think it's, Yeah, I think it's the football management. I think this really stems back to the way the, the structure of the club at United, you know, for the last four, five, six years, they haven't got a director of football or equivalent role in place. And it's meant, to, it meant that they've shifted each time they've got a new manager in, they've shifted their, their approach in terms of their transfer strategy, in terms of response. And likes of Sanchez, likes of Lukaku maybe and, and a few others where they've bought them for specific managers, they've then had to move them on or try and move them on quickly and it's just not working for them. One man who is not at Manchester United this season uh, but has been having a few words about his time at Manchester United this week is Romelu Lukaku. Fascinating interview he did with the BBC over the last few days. Very outspoken, quite emotional as well and taught, I thought, very, very well. Just have a little listen in to some of the comments that he had about his time at Manchester United, his relationship with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and criticism from a certain Gary Neville. Gary Neville said something very hurtful in terms of your fitness and <laughs> yeah. then your professionalism. Yeah. What do you say to that? That He can speak maybe like about the fitness, but don't ever talk about my professionalism that I don't do, that I don't work hard enough. That's something that you can't say. You can't say that. Because all the coaches that I have, you know, they, they always say the same thing about me. What, like, what does Ole say about me on the training ground? What did he say when I was at Manchester United? That I work hard, that I always try to do my best to improve myself. Same when I was with Jose Mourinho. Same when I'm with Roberto Martinez. Now the coach at Inter Milan says it again, so don't try to question my professionalism. I will live for this game. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm at home all the time. I try to do everything that, you know, to improve my game. But last year was just a bad year and it can happen in football, but you just have to move on. So I'm not going to sit here and try to attack him in the, in the public eye. We're two both grown men and we don't need to, to, I don't need to react in a negative way. He's a pundit. He gets paid to say certain kind of stuff. I'm paid to play football. You did say recently that you felt that you, Alexis, yeah. and... Paul Pogba yeah. were used as scapegoats for yeah. things that happen mm -hmm. at Manchester United. Could you just elaborate on that? And, and also, is it an easy target because of things that are wrong at the club? Yeah, I mean, that was my feeling at the time. You know, that's my feeling at the time. Um, and I think if you look back at it, me, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong because, uh, you know, I think for me being... The thing about me is I, I, I speak always the truth. Like what I see is what I'm going to say and it's what I felt, it's what I saw. But you know, at the end of the day, I cannot look back always on it on the time and say like, oh yeah, this and this, and I'm gonna point at this and say that, you know, Ole was not the right manager for me. I cannot do that, you know. Uh, me and, uh, and Ole, we tried to work together, but you know, at one point I had to, to, to be honest with him and he was also honest with me that, you know, we, we, we found uh, an agreement that, you know, for me, I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Italy. He understood why I wanted to go. And uh, for me, that's really something that I always will be grateful to him because he, uh, we had the conversation from man to man and I explained him how I felt and he understood and we moved on from there. So he would get always a massive respect for me and always get my protection. Some really interesting points that Lukaku brings up in that conversation. Um, the criticism that he got. I mean, do you think there's anything in that, Rob, him and maybe others being used as scapegoats for some of the problems at Manchester United? Yeah, potentially. I mean, there's, there's been some accusations leveled at a few players there, hasn't there, in terms of their attitude, I suppose, their, 
their response when they've been under pressure and it, I suppose their influence on the younger players and the the fact they've got too much influence but it's not a good influence and um, they've talked about a few players of that so yeah I think it I think there probably is something in that um, it's a funny one with Lukaku for me because he's I don't think he's ever he never quite clearly hit hit his stride at United but his numbers are pretty good he's got he's good all-time goal scorer for Belgium yeah. over 100 goals in the Premier League yeah. still pretty and young yeah exactly and he's got he's got he's got a few good goals Talking of goals, we've got the first goal of the afternoon. And it's gone the way of who, Mark Archer? It's Manchester United 1. They've got them on the counter break. Southampton have actually dominated the first 10, ten minutes of this match. They've been high pressing. United have struggled to get out of their own half. But when they do get out of their own half, the ball is broken for Daniel James. The Welsh speedster cuts in off the left and he, he slaps it with his right foot. Top corner, goalkeeper, no chance. 1-0 Manchester United. Great goal. Interesting. Just have a look at the replay here with Rob as well, uh, and it's that young man again, isn't it? I mean, yeah. he's been given, he's been entrusted by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and he has really impressed in the first few weeks. He really has. I think that's his second or third goal of the season already, and yeah, it's a lovely strike right into the top corner, beats the beats the keeper's dive, got the ball out of his feet really well, and was able to open his body up, and he, yeah, it's a great finish. And as we said at the start, it's it's United Southampton, as as Mark alluded to, started really well. They pressed really hard. They're really intense. And they had a, they've set up like a, as, a, as a box in midfield, really. I think they've got four in midfield, um, but it, but not in an orthodox sort of four-four-two. It's it's a box, and it's outnumbering United. But they've United caught them on the break. Uh, let's get back to the Lukaku conversation, Mark Archer. I mean, we've we just sort of highlighted that they might be a little bit. I was just thinking about it, exactly what you said just a few minutes ago, uh, Rob, about. The cover-up there, where they've got Greenwood on the bench at the moment. The Greenwood's been talked a lot about by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in recent times. But if we, we understand Martial's out for a couple of weeks now, out to the 13th yeah, or 14th so, yeah, or something yeah. like that. So without him there, I mean, all it takes is for for for, for Rashford to pick up a, no a knock in this game, and then back to their sort of bare bones almost. They, they are. They're really light up front, aren't they? And they, they've left themselves exposed. Obviously, they can't do anything until January. So as you say, if even if, if you've got Martial out for a couple of weeks, if Rashford got a run in a couple of competitions as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, they've got the Europa League draw, haven't they? So they've got the Europa League coming up. So it's going to be Zlatan really in November then. <laughs> yeah, potentially. It's interesting what you say about Lukaku, and uh, you know, whilst, whilst his record at United wasn't terrible by by all means, he just flattered to deceive at times, and he was the sort of player that I always felt had the physical ability to dominate lesser teams and lesser physical centre halves and against a lot of the Premier League that that works but against the big four or five clubs against City and against uh, your Arsenal's and your Liverpool's and your Chelsea's he really struggled to his goal scoring record wasn't that impressive and he struggled to, the, the physical dominance against a lot of teams he couldn't pull off his touch wasn't good enough he wasn't good enough on the ball you know they used him as a back to the goal type player to hold the ball up but often that wasn't working for them. Well, so it's, it's interesting you say that because part of the criticism he came in for, you heard him talking there about the Gary Neville and the Gary Neville thing. You know, Gary Neville basically accused him of being fat. Um, uh, was one of the things certainly unfit, not committed as well. And his reasoning was that he was over 100 kg, and that this day and age, that's just not acceptable in the Premier League. That you couldn't have a player over 100 kg. But he's a unit, isn't he? He's a big. He's a big. He's a big unit. Yeah, yeah, you're a big unit. You look at other players in the past that have a similar size and structure, but had a real impact again. Didier Drogba being one, you know, Didier Drogba was the example of he was going to, you know, um, Lukaku was due to be the next Didier Drogba. He had such an impact on the game, and 
Yeah, he wasn't the obviously the, the thinnest of lads and he had a big set figure, but was able to use that really effectively and, and really effectively against the bigger teams, as Mark says, you know, causing real problems, had a phenomenal goal scoring record. But Lukaku hasn't been able to do that and yeah, he's been accused of having a poor first touch or an inconsistent first touch, I think, is and uh, not prolific in front of goal. And I think you looked at him sometimes on the pitch and maybe it was the way he was being asked to play his, his body language wasn't the greatest at times if things weren't go, quite going right for him he'd throw his arms up in the air or his shoulders would slump and that obviously had an effect on the on the wider team because he was so influential we'd love your thoughts on this one please do text them through to us on 4001 if you'd like to have your say two games underway at the moment Southampton against Manchester United in the Premier League and just behind us over there, we've got Bristol City against Middleborough. Nil-nil uh, in that one as well. So two games underway over in England. More news coming your way next. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Tweet the team at Dubai Eye Sport. OK, OK, let's get a score update if we can. Uh, two games underway over in England. One in the Premier League, one in the Championship. Rob's got the latest for us. So, yeah, um, Southampton v Man United, it's Southampton nil, Manchester United won. Had a goal from Daniel James in the 10th uh, minute, a great strike with his right foot from the edge of the box. Um, Southampton started the game ever so well, really, really, uh, real high intensity, pressed, pressed United really hard, but United have come back into it since, the, since they scored on the break. So, yeah, Southampton nil, Manchester United won. No goals in the championship game. Bristol City against Middlesbrough. Keep an eye on that one for you. Uh, Mark Archer's with us as well. Uh, Archer's obviously worked in the uh, sports industry here in the region for many a year now. He's done his bit down in Abu Dhabi in uh, years gone by. Uh, did you have anything to do with this showdown week, uh, laying the foundations for that in years gone by? No, it's been exciting though. It's it's, it's coming up. It's it's obviously um, Abu Dhabi's dabbled in the in, in sort of the WWE and then the UFC in the past. And uh, it's, it's going to be a big week down there, showdown week, only a couple of weeks away now. And uh, Next week. It doesn't get any more any bigger box office than, than, the, than the title fight, does it? We saw, we, saw, uh, we saw how big UFC's become globally, and it's, it's, it's great to see this type of uh, high-profile fight here in the Middle East, here down in the, in the capital in Abu Dhabi. It's UFC 242 next Saturday down in Abu Dhabi. Um, there is plenty to look forward to on a sporting side of things. There's also the uh, social and entertainment with Red Hot Chili Peppers playing on Wednesday night. We've got Jay Balvin's being confirmed. Uh, Jess Glynn, Rudimental, Tiny Temper, they're all in town as part of that one. Uh, but UFC is very much to the fore. In fact, Chris and Robbie caught up with the interim UFC lightweight champion Dustin Poirier ahead of his showdown with Khabib Nurmagomedov at the UFC 242 in Abu Dhabi next week. They began by asking him just how special is it for him to headline the big fight night? It means everything to me. How many times in, in our lives do we have a chance to really do something great? You know, the, these guys are, are building an arena for us to compete in. I'm traveling across the world in the biggest fight that I can get possible. And going out there to do something that's never been done, I have an opportunity for greatness, and I'm approaching it that way, and I'm very excited about all of this. And uh, I, I can't wait, honestly. I'm very anxious to, to get the fight week rolling. Dustin, it's taken you over 30 fights to get to this point in your career, and when you reflect on what you've achieved, what would you say has been the most important aspect? Uh, I think the biggest thing is consistency and self-belief honestly showing up every day whether the day before was good or bad um staying true to the path of being the best fighter that I, that I can push myself and evolve into uh, i think uh self-belief and consistency is what 
what's got me here. Dustin, just how much does Khabib's one-year layoff out of the octagon actually help you and make it more of a fight where you perhaps have a bigger chance? You've been active, you've been successful over the course of that 12 months. Will that play a factor? You know, I I think that's uh, more of an individual thing. Everybody is different. Um, You know, recently we've seen Nate Diaz come back and beat Anthony Pettis. Anthony's been pretty active. Nate hasn't fought in three years. And, uh, you know, ring rust is, is a thing people toss around, a word people toss around, but I think it's more individualized. It depends how hard you're working in the gym and, and how focused you are and uh, how ready to compete you are. And I believe Khabib's one of the guys who, who works year-round and is always working on his craft, and I think he's going to be the best he's ever been come September 7th. Dustin, in the build-up to this fight, you've exuded a lot of confidence. You've said you're going to stop Khabib. Of course, he is unbeaten in the UFC. How important is that mental side of the game? Yeah, you know, fighting is... is people don't talk a, a whole lot about the mental side of fighting, but I think the mental part of fighting is, is a huge part that, that, you know, that matters and, and that some fighters focus on. But a lot of people kind of, we don't talk about it. And, uh, you know, just my whole career, the ups, the downs, the the victories, the defeats, the lessons I've learned and kept rolling, that's, that's what's made me the fighter I am today. It's a constant evolution. I've had to go through the fights that I've been through to, to be the person I am now. And I'm just confident in my skills, my ability, the work that I'm putting in, my commitment to martial arts, my commitment to, to just getting in there and letting it all go. And I'm confident in that. I can trust myself that when I get in there and they lock that door for 25 minutes, that, that I'm the better fighter and I'm in there to win and, and that I'm going to find an opening or make an opening and, and uh, be the victor here. You are going into this fight, and I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, Dustin. You're going into this fight as an underdog, and you've kind of embraced that in many respects. We see so many fighters who take that tag very much as an insult. It's seen as a slight against their fighting ability. You, on the other hand, you use it, it appears, as a motivation. Is that a huge part of the fighter that you've become? For sure. You know, I've been counted out a lot of times, and uh, at this point in my career... You know, it, this is just another fight. People are counting me out once again. Uh, and for a good reason, right? The guy's undefeated. Uh, we're traveling across the world into a place where we would say he's more favored there. Um, but but I'm embracing this. I'm going to go out there and do what hasn't been done and, and put a, a loss on Khabib's record for all the underdogs across the world. I'm going to show everyone that, that if you believe, if you work hard enough, if you're focused enough, if you're determined enough, in that 25 minutes, you can be great. And, and that's what I was just talking about. I, ha- I have a real opportunity to be great with everyone watching and do something that's never been done, and I will not let this slip through my fingers. We know a big part of Khabib's game is that mental badgering, that talking, that posturing in the octagon. How have you prepared for that, Dustin? Have you had sparring partners trash talk you? What measures have you taken to make that a more natural process when you're actually in the fight? No, that that's that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. Uh, I'm going to be talking shit too. And let's look ahead then. Small hours of Sunday morning, September 8th. You become champion, unified champion of the lightweight division. Who in your mind would then become number one contender? Is it Tony Ferguson? Conor McGregor has stated he will come back and fight for you. Who then becomes top dog to try and take that belt from you? 100% it's Tony Ferguson without a second guess. Uh, you know, without any 
any uh, argument is Tony Ferguson, no doubt. But I don't even honestly, I don't, I don't think about that type of stuff because 25 minutes with Khabib is all I can, you know, all, all I can focus on right now. I can't disrespect the work that needs to be done. September 7th. 25 minutes with Khabib. Now there's a thought, isn't it? Eh? Uh, because he takes on um, the, uh, well, I think probably, fellas, one of the most impressive sportsmen on the planet at the moment. You know, the only man who is still undefeated in UFC. We know what UFC demands of its athletes and its competitors. And for Khabib to hold such a sway over it. I mean, you've had the opportunity to sort of see the man up close and personal in recent days as well. Is there is there something about him? Yeah, he, we've been fortunate. We've we've hosted him for the past uh, ten days or so with for his for his uh, pre-fight training camp. But yeah, he's, the intensity you can really see the intensity. Yeah, he's, he's got a uh, real intense focus, a real real strong support team around him who provide him with with the with an equal amount of intensity really to make sure he's focused on the fight. He, he comes in for each session. He'll train for for two hours in the morning um, generally on the mats and they, they were really pushing really hard and then they'll do techno, technical stuff in the cage uh, uh, later on and you can see there's a there's a real real team spirit there although it's an individual sport obviously and they're in the cage he's, he's individually but there's a real team focus there and, and the support provided by you know the, he's got a team of 15 16 17 guys there who different different things for him from um, from sparring, obviously, through to his, his medical staff and his his, uh, his fitness guys. Um, so it's a real team effort, and um, yeah, I've been really impressed by the focus, I think, especially in the attitude. Rob, amazing facility you have at uh, Nettle Sheep Sports Complex. Have you had to provide any wildlife, any bears from to wrestle? Because that's, that's, that's the urban myth, and he wrestled bears as a kid. Yeah, I had to bring a few bears in, but uh, fortunately, they're, uh, we've had to take them back to the zoo now, so they're okay. <laughs> He is an extraordinary individual, though, and he's had such success. I mean, that Conor McGregor fight will, is obviously one thing that uh, got so many eyeballs on, on the sport of UFC. But you could see as well just how personal that was. You know, there's a lot of bad feeling between the two fighters. And that's one thing that really impresses me about Khabib. He doesn't do it for himself. He doesn't do it for his glory, although I'm sure it comes you know, as an added bonus. But he seems to you know, do it for his family. He does it for his, for his country in more ways than one. He's a very proud man in that sense. I'm incredibly proud and passionate about those as well and, and, and not afraid to, to, be, to, be, to be outspoken about that in the right way, I think. You know, here's, here's some of the interviews that he's done. He's, you know, he's a proud countryman and he's, um, he's willing to stand up for what he believes in clearly. And when he's... When he's willing to stand up for people that um, maybe have mistreated him or treated, mistreated his corner or his family, and, and, and he'll, he'll do that. And he's, he's phenomenal in the ring, as we, as we know. Poirier against uh, Namagomedev next weekend. UFC 242 down in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Khabib, one of the biggest stars in world sport at the moment. Uh, but he has come from a tough background. When you have tough life, hard life, uh, success becomes very easy because you have motivation, you're hungry, you need this. People are so tough, very tough people, and uh, mentality. My blood from here, brother. my blood. Fainting and boom! Only tough life, brother, what I can How good is that kid? 21 and 0, 5 and 0 in UFC. UFC, give me title shot, please. Seven wins by knockout, seven by submission. That's a guy to look out for at 155. I don't want to be like just champion. I want to be like greatest champion in light of the division. Beast. 
professional 10 and 0 in UFC, UFC undisputed, undefeated lightweight champion. What's next? Biggest fight in the history of the UFC. Send a message, location. Ireland, Brooklyn, We talking about my religion. We talk about my country. We talk about my father. Two-time world champion, like two-weight classes, but today he tough. In one of the most talent-stacked divisions, this guy mauls everybody. He's the most dominant force in the history of the sport. People are scared of this guy. He's the only UFC champion that's undefeated. It's nothing that's going to break that guy. Mike Tyson is Mike Tyson. There's just no comment. I don't want to change. I want to be same, Habib, like before belt and after belt. I don't fight for the money. I fight for my legacy. I fight for history. I fight for my people. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.